Welcome to the Woman Inc. podcast. This is the place for the new generation of women looking to lead the life of their absolute dreams. I'm your host, Jenna Toddy, entrepreneur, life coach, and strategist for modern businesswomen and entrepreneurs. I am a city girl, sriracha lover, and that friend who will hype you up when you forget how powerful you truly are. I am on a mission to make Women Inc. the most powerful network of women who are leveling up, owning what they want, and becoming who they've always wanted to be. Have you ever wondered what it would look like if you went all in on yourself? No turning back. If so, you are in the right place, my girl. Let's get started. Hello, my beautiful Woman Inc. listeners. How is everyone doing? I don't know if it's because we just entered the fourth quarter of the year, but I have been feeling so motivated to just go out and create all of the things I want to do. You know, just that, what do I have to actually lose energy? It's a very freeing feeling. And before I introduce my guest this week, who is so amazing, I can't wait for you guys to listen, but I just wanted to say that I watch the listenership for this podcast grow every single day. And it's not lost on me that those numbers are real people out there living their lives. And I just really want to know you guys. I want to know every single one of you. I really want to do something live. I really want to just bring us all together. And I don't, are we, are we all burnt out on Zoom? Let me know because I'm not sure how, when, but I really want to do a live event with the Women in Community so we can just come together and really get to know each other. And I just want to see all of your faces because numbers just, they don't do it for me. Like, I'm a people person. I need to see you guys and know you guys and know what you're going through, what you're struggling with and how this community can just like keep going to the next level to support you because that's just my mission on this planet. It's what I love the most. So let me know if you guys would be up for some sort of live event, live Women Inc. event. And this community, you guys, is incredibly powerful. There are VC investors who listen to Women Inc. There are entrepreneurs. There are so many amazing women on the other end of this recording. And I just want to be a part of some entrepreneurial love stories. Like we were both part the Woman Inc. community. I invested in her business and together we made millions. I just wanted to all start at Woman Inc. So if you're listening and we haven't met, please message me. Please say hi. Send me any question. Anyone who you're like, can you please get this person? I want to know everything about them. I will stalk them on your behalf. I will do everything to get anyone on the show. I really have no fear of asking anyone. I'm like, what's Michelle Obama's email? I'm like, do you think she has email somewhere. I have no fear. So anyone you guys want who we can just try to coerce into coming onto the show, let me know. Let me know the questions you're dying to ask. So I know it's really hard when you are in the episode because you're looking at the person and you're so into their story that I'm like, oh yeah, I have to ask you an- another question. So it's really helpful to know what you guys are struggling with, what your pain points are, where you really want to grow and learn from some of the amazing women we bring on. So let me know, please, please, please just say hi, if anything. I just want to see your face and I want to say hi. Okay, let's get into introducing my incredible guest this week. Andrea Lisbona is the founder and CEO of Touchland, the revolutionary brand of hand sanitizers that combine sleek, 
functional packaging with non-sticky, moisturizing, luxurious feeling formulas that come in eight amazing scents. Setting out to disrupt the commoditized hand sanitizing industry, Andrea ran a Kickstarter in 2018, which resulted in the brand reaching 450% of its initial fundraising goal and more than 1,500 pre-orders in just one month. In Touchland's first year of business, the brand enjoyed success largely driven by their community of social media followers. Until recently, this community was grown and fostered directly by Andrea herself. In that year, Touchland surpassed over 2 million in sales and landed a retail distribution with Ulta, Urban Outfitters, Revolve, Liberty London, Sephora Mexico, and many more. Touchland was instantly embraced by celebrities and influencers alike. The brand now counts Kris Jenner, Kesha, Rosie Huntington-Whiteley, Tyra Banks, and many more. Now, Touchland has been expanding into new retail partnerships with Target, Bloomingdale's, Neiman Marcus, Nordstrom, and more. Additionally, the brand's Cub hand sanitizer dispenser, which is actually the first internet-connected solution of its kind, has exploded to 50% of their business. They have strategic partners like Equinox, Louis Vuitton, Sweet Green, Marriott, and dozens more. You've probably seen them without knowing you've seen them. There was one in my old building before I moved back to New York. All the while, Touchland has been donating their hand sanitizers to hospitals and teachers to assist those working on the front lines during the pandemic. Andrea is originally from Barcelona and relocated to the U.S. in 2018 in order to manage the growth of Touchland from the U.S. I can't wait for you guys to hear just her fire. You can feel her passion and she is the quintessential entrepreneur. I love, love, love bringing women like this onto the show because that energy is so contagious. All right, now let's do it. Let's get over to my conversation with Andrea. How are you? Good, and you? I'm great. I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm very excited to be part of this. (laughs) So welcome to the podcast. You are from one of my favorite cities in the world, Barcelona. I'm very, very lucky. Yeah. (laughs) It's just my favorite. I'm obsessed with Barcelona. It's amazing. It's an amazing city. I I always say it's not to work, but it is to retire. (laughs) (laughs) So where do you live now? In Miami. Oh, I live in Miami too. You live in Miami right now? But I'm in New York for the weekend. Oh, where where do you live in Miami? We could have done an in-person. Yeah. I live and the condos attached to the one hotel. In Miami Beach? Yeah, Miami Beach. Okay, yeah. I live in downtown, in front of the Miami Heat Arena. Oh, beautiful. Oh, yeah. I have a friend who lives in that building. Yeah. No, no, it's really good. It's like very close to Brickell and Wynwood and all that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So nice. Okay, so I'm so excited to get into your whole story and your background because I love that you started a hand sanitizing company before the pandemic even started and everyone started hand trying. Yeah, when it was not easy or appealing or not sexy for investors, yeah. <laughs> no, you are the OG. And so I can't wait to hear your whole story. But thank you. Can you walk us back? to before you started Touchland and we'll get into everything Touchland related. Just bring us back to what you were doing before starting your own business that kind of led you towards becoming an entrepreneur. So I was raised in an entrepreneurial family. So my father always had his business and I've always lived with this kind of like uncertainty and anxiety of being an entrepreneur, which I 
tend to feel comfortable. I feel like a lot of people don't like, okay, maybe we don't get to the end of the month. Like I feel like I was raised with that and that's, that for me is normal. And then I studied business administration. I always wanted to create my own business and my own company. And after that, I went to study six months on Erasmus in USC. And I really fell in love with the U.S. And then that's, that's when I get to know for the very first time what a hand sanitizer was. Because in Europe, prior to the swine flu, I never have heard about this category of products. And then I came back, I graduated, and then I, start, uh, I studied for two years fashion design. It's always been my dream to be the next Karl Lagerfeld. <laughs> and that was what I wanted to do prior to Dutchland. I, I really felt inspired with Chanel's story and like how... She empowered women through fashion, and that was the dream company that I wanted to land uh, prior to start Dutchland. That was when I was 24, 24, 23 years old, and then the crisis came to Europe. We had a family business, like everyone. We lost everything, and then I wanted, I felt like uh, there's a time in your mind that you stop wanting to be an expense for your family and want to start helping out. And I was 24 years old. My family business was struggling. And I said, you know what? I have this idea. I'd like to reinvent the hand sanitizer world. I truly believe that this is not a, another product in your day-to-day. This is a product that is going to be more important than brushing your teeth. Because with busy lives and everything, it's always easier when you don't have water and so to just use hand sanitizer and, and do not fall sick as 80% of infectious diseases are spread through hands. And that's why mom would tell you when you're a kid, wash your hands. That's because they are the door of any infection. And then I convinced my family that I wanted to take this adventure and I started distributing hand sanitizer solutions. I took like a very different um, decision from most entrepreneurs. They would normally jump and create their own product. And sometimes you get wrong. Like you really, it, I thought that it was such a key industry and it was an industry that for 20 years in the US was very commoditized and everything. So I really wanted, before launching our own product and innovating, I wanted to understand what were the biggest pain points for businesses, for users. I was able to distribute for five years hand sanitizers and talk to nurses. And they would say like, at the end of the day, my hands are like paper cut. And I have to carry a hand cream in my left pocket that I have to buy from my own salary because this is just killing my skin. And then I would talk to businesses and hotels and all that and and ask them, why do you don't invest on hand sanitizers? And they would say, well, there's no technology and it's always empty and it creates bad user experience and that is bad for my brand. So after five years really learning about like all of the pain points, that's when we developed our first pre-series of product in, in Europe that kind of like set the way to move into the US and launch in 2018, uh, our first product line. Wow. That's incredible. I, I love when someone just decides what they want to do, especially when it's not something that's very mainstream and then just goes for it. And you started with a Kickstarter, right? Yes, in the US. Yeah. So when we moved in in 2018, I'm a very impatient person. I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs are. And um, we, our product is the Notice over the counter FDA product. So we had to do for like two years the testing, the stability, like all of the kill tests and everything. And the product was going to be fully live by December 2018. But I moved in June to Miami. I was like, what do we do now? 
until December. And so I said, why don't we do a Kickstarter campaign and just get some market validation? Kickstarter helps you out to also really understand what consumers want, what is there a market for, like a better for you hand sanitizer, and also like any kind of like innovations that you can launch within your main product. And we did it and it was fully funded in 24 hours, ended up being 450% funded. So it was just an incredible experience. Yeah. Were you so shocked? I'm very humble. And at the same time, like I, I always say, don't let failure get to your heart. Don't let success get to your head. And I was like, okay, that's good. But like, let's not just like get too full of ourselves. And this is just the beginning. And I feel for the last two years, it's been crazy. Even before the pandemic, we've been growing super fast. We launched in Alta and 1,200 doors in January 2020 prior to the pandemic. And we were fully sold out within days. So, but I also think like, one step at a time and and don't don't fall asleep and in the trees because I think that's when like you don't see threads, you don't see like uh your weaknesses and you have to always be awake. Very good advice. Yes. So once you got all of these orders and you are growing very quickly, did part of you say, Oh my gosh, okay, this is a real business? Did you have that moment of we're going to really do this? I was I've always been hundred percent convinced since I started. I and I was like I feel like everyone at some point until we launched in the US, they were like, she's just wasting her time. She's like a visionary. Like she's like, I don't know, like there is maybe, I don't know, like I feel like when you're in Europe and this was like a very immature market in Europe, like I was seen like as a crazy, <laughs> like I feel like someone that is just ch- chasing the impossible. And when we came here, I realized like we were on our good way. We were just in the wrong place. And so that's when we moved here that we was like, okay, we should have come here like five years ago, but it's okay. Everything happens for a reason. We're in the US and it's been, I always say it's the American dream. It's everything that I fight for since I was 24 years old. Like I really never had a previous experience of work. So it is like rewarding all of the hard work and all of the meetings with investors that were not successful and everyone that that really just never believed that this was a potential business that was going to be in the US crushing it. We won the Lord Best of Beauty Awards and it's been like a continuous process and uh, in progress. And I think that's what's most exciting. Yeah. I feel like sometimes you can go either way with those meetings when you're getting turned down and people can't see your vision. You can say, oh, maybe this was actually just not a good idea. And maybe I just was in over my head. But it, it takes a visionary as well as an entrepreneur to be able to say, no, that's their opinion. And I'm, I know what I'm doing and keep moving forward. But it's hard. It's it is hard. hard. It is hard. But I also think that's why I really like entrepreneur movies, because I feel like sometimes entrepreneurs just talk about their wins. And I feel like when you see movies like Steve Jobs or Joy from like the story of Joy Mangano and everything. And it just like 99% of the time, it just knows. Like you get like one success, but all of the time, it's just like, no, no. And it's like, I I remember like, especially raising funds in when I was in Europe trying to move here, like I could not raise funds in Europe because they were seeing this company, okay, they, they are going to the US. So we're not going to be able to continue tracking it. And the US investors would say, well, this is a still a company in Europe. So we were in between two rivers. I, I remember like also sometimes like they just want to hear your story, but they have not real interest in investing. And hand sanitizer was definitely not an appealing category prior to 2020. That that's for sure. So I remember like having like someone, some fund interested in Paris when I was in Barcelona, waking up at two in the morning, paying a plane ticket, 
putting my heart out in the meeting and they will say like, well, we don't invest in these kind of categories. And, and I was really not like weekend. I was even more on fire because it was like, how do you make an entrepreneur take a plane, pay for it when you're raising funds? Like that's every dollar matters. And you knew prior to me coming here that you would not invest. So I just feel like it was, it's a very hard process and it does not measure your company's success. It's just like, Sometimes the, it's it's the perfect shoe. I always say like it has to be the same category that they invest, the same size, the same stage, and that's when. And I've been extremely lucky because uh, I was able to raise funds. Every time that I've raised funds, it's been with people that truly believes in my vision and people that has always been a visionary. Because again, investing prior to twenty twenty in a hand sanitizer company, it was very hard. It was almost a monopoly, and we were just—it was a very small market size. Also, it was a five point five billion in twenty twenty two which is not very big. Now it's like 10 it, which is one of the reasons why we get a lot of investors interested in us. But I always, I am always someone that remembers who was there and also never forgets who wasn't there. So, so at this time, you're, you start on your own. You didn't have a co-founder. What did your team look like? When I started distributing, I did it by myself to try to save a business. Then my husband joined me to launch my first product line. So he has been the CTO, logistics operations, and always be more like sales and strategy and everything. And we've been able together from 2014 to 2018, we were the two of us alone. And then we moved here and we started hiring. And it's been, I'm not the, really good at the interviews. I never check at resumes. <laughs> it's just, I really like to interview for the values, the attitude, like who, who is this person in front of me? Because I always think that you can learn. But it is very hard, like if the values are not there. So I'm in the process when I'm interviewing. Yes, I like to to know what they've done in the past, like 20% of it. But 80% of what I'm most interested in is in their values. And we are like hustlers. Like we work really hard last year. We grew 1,200% with a very small team. Um, so you have to have people that is willing to roll up the sleeve, fight for you, and really be next to you when, when bad obstacles come. Yeah, go all in. I think hiring from your values is actually very underrated and not talked about a lot, but that is so important. You can teach someone to do a lot of things, but you cannot change who someone is. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So let's get into, you have a hand sanitizing company. It's blowing up. You are growing incredibly rapidly. And then 2020 hits. And I at first was thinking, oh, wow, what an amazing time to have a hand sanitizing company when I first you know, knew I was interviewing you. And then I'm reading your bio and I, I'm realizing, oh, no, her supply chain is cut. And all of a sudden, you have all of these people rushing to market. Everything changes and you have to pivot quickly. So can you walk us through that experience? Yeah. Yeah. So I think like one of the good things that I had is that when we first launched Touchdowns at Distribution, I launched a company in Spain and that was two months before the swine flu. And then the swine flu came in and I took a very risky decision, which was not very happy for the rest of the family that we were like, okay, we're trying to just launch this business to, to kind of like save the family company and everything. But this is my business for life. I've dedicated one third of my life to this. So I never wanted to be seen as an opportunistic company. I did not want to associate Touchland to a pandemic. And so what I did is just like put a project in standby 
and learn what happened with the swine flow with companies that were in the market. So every it's like the gold fever. Everyone just like launches hand sanitizer, like best, like crazy. They, and again, a pandemic is not forever. So you have to be aware that everything that goes up goes down. And what I saw is that all of the companies that they launched during the pandemic, six months after the pandemic, they were all shut down because they reinvested. They didn't prevision that this was going to be over. And then we launched few months after the swine flu, like a new company, we did not want to be associated with that. And when the sw- when the COVID came in, I was like, that's going to be the same. Like get ready for like a million new hand sanitizer brands, get ready for like, but at the same time, I also think that it is good because when we were alone, it's really hard to create a need and to educate people and to try to create something when you're alone. Like the other company that was in the market was there for 20 years, non-innovating. So it was very hard to want to be the Dyson's and Espresso, the Apple's on this industry when you are all alone and no competition because it, it feels like no one is interested in this industry. So when the, the COVID came in, I imagined what was going to happen. Again, we've always been focused on long-term and we try to do it in the best way possible, always being there for like our customers previous to the pandemic, for our businesses previous to the pandemic and retailers. And obviously like every company, it was a crazy, crazy, crazy period. We had to cap our e-commerce orders to $200 because people were just like buying years of supply. And and also like we realized that people was going to resell it at double price. And that the last thing that I wanted is to see Touchland at $40 because someone is just trying to make a business out of it. So we took a lot of decisions, pretty fast decisions. One of them was set caps on the orders. Second of all, we were like, fully sold out in March 5th. <laughs> and that was like a momentum, like, okay, it's the first week of the pandemic and Touchland is fully sold out. And my biggest concern was just trying to measure demand and, and be very smart about it. Don't, don't try to, again, like all of these companies invest millions and millions and in infrastructure and all that. Like we were still a company that launched two years ago. In that time, we were one year and a half, not even. And we had to make very smart decisions and not over size ourselves and not over invest on ourselves when the company has to grow um, responsibly. So what we did is we launched kind of a Kickstarter campaign in March 5th, which did not make a lot of sense. Like you're in the middle of a pandemic. Why would you wait two months to receive your product? But at the same time, we were like, okay, people have trusted Touchdown for a year and a half. And we're just going to open like two initiatives. First of all, you can pre-order and get your order in eight weeks, or you can get on the wait list. I was not expecting anything. <laughs> Surprise to us that e-commerce grew 1,200% in three weeks. People was paying to get their product in eight weeks. And I was surprised, but people said like, we've loved Dutchland for two years. Like we want to make sure that we, when it's available, we, we can get our hands in it. And so, and we were, again, I always say it takes a lifetime to build trust and one second to lose it. So we were like over communicative. We're like, okay, through the whole checkout, 10 times, eight weeks delivery. If someone, after two weeks that they place the PD order, they said, I need, for any reason, like, I need a refund, like, I need to cancel that, we would immediately cancel because people was losing their jobs and everything. And we just wanted to be super helpful and at the same time, like, transparent. And also, we got a 34,000 people wait list, which it was incredible because, again, we're talking about the hand sanitizer. There was other brands in the market, but it clearly showed that people was not buying hand sanitizer. They were buying the brand that they love. And that that was how 2020 was for us. Um, it was amazing also from the B2B standpoint, because one of the things that was really challenging for me, the brand was very successful previously of the COVID. But in the B2B world, 
if you were not a hospital, hand sanitizer was just an expense. And that was something that for many years I was trying to communicate to businesses. Like you get people entering in your hotel. You want to make sure when they come from the airport, they sanitize. But again, there were other expenses. There were other initiatives. And when the COVID came in, that changed completely the mindset of businesses. And we were able to get like great partnerships with brands that we admire, like Equinox and the whole Equinox group. We are like in all the Equinox Soul Cycle Blinks gyms. We are in Four Seasons, Standard Hotels, Sweet Green, Joe and the Jews, like almost every category leader in the US was getting our dispensers. And I think that is amazing because now people, when they go to, I don't know, a hotel, they see the dispenser and they shoot a photo and they, they are very excited to find like healthy solutions and wellness solutions when they get into a, into an office or into a business. And that was like the craziness of 2020 that with a very small team, instead of hiding, to be honest, we were just focused on like maximizing product availability. I had no time to hire this year. I'm hiding a lot, but last year was, I felt like everyone just became super superheroes and they were able to wear a hundred hats and do a lot of things at the same time. Something I really admire about what you're saying is goes back, I think, to values, which is when you said it takes years to build trust, it takes a second to lose it. I just want to repeat that for anyone listening, because I think that is such an important thing when you are rushing and making very important, fast decisions that could be literally the fate of your company is a lot of pressure. And I think it's easy to say, yeah, I made this decision and you know, to not rush and to not overinvest. But that says a lot about your wisdom as an entrepreneur. And it's really hard in that moment to not rush to, okay, let's just buy all, all of the solution we can find and we'll pay for it later. And we'll like take that risk and think about the consequences later. But just saying, no, we trust our customers. We know our value. We know how to navigate through hard times. And that's, I think, really valuable for people to hear because that's a lot more difficult than you're describing the decisions that you made. So yeah. when talking about B2B, I'm always super interested in this because I've worked a lot with B2B. And for you, you really started the majority of your B2B business within 2020, right? Because people were understanding proof of product. Were they coming to you, these businesses? Yeah, 95% of B2B sales were inbound. So it was crazy. We were able to launch an e-commerce for B2B because we wanted to make sure that SMBs in the US were able to access hand sanitizers. So we created kind of an e-commerce for B2B. And so people could go online any time of the day and buy a dispenser and a floor stands and refills. We did some pilots in 2019, but it was really when it took off in 2020. And were you working really hard to reach out to these people before or did it kind of just naturally happen? No, no, we, we were really hard. Like I, I, again, in the when I started in 2010 distributing, I started as B2B because I truly believe like when I feel it's such a great experience as a customer when you're entering into a restaurant that you may be with clients, you cannot go to the bathroom and just let them there. Like if you place a hand sanitizer device in the entrance, you just ensure from them on it's like a healthy place to be. We work really hard to do it. And B2B is such a, it's such a hard and hard to scale business. And that was one of the reasons why investors were not really appealed by that because they were like, well, if you were only a D2C, okay, but you have a B2B site. And I tried to explain them, well, it's like Apple. They don't only have an iPod or an iPhone. They have like MacBook and all that. And that strengthens your position in the market. But there were a lot of investors that they just said no because we had the B2B side and they were like, if you would quit that 
B2B area, we would invest. And we're like, no, like then if you don't share our vision, we'd rather get someone that understands that you're like, I think like you're greater would you have like the power miss and you walk around and you show it and then you get somewhere and you see the dispenser and it just like creates a 360 experience that makes your brand much stronger. Yeah, those are my favorite companies. You recognize the product, but you can't think of a brand associated to it. Exactly. Being once with a potential client with like B2B wholesale and it was an umbrella brand. I don't know, umbrella brand like that's, I don't know what, where that fits in the market. And he was like, think of an umbrella brand. And I was just like, I actually can't think of one brand. And he's like, exactly. So that's when I started thinking about companies like this. I think it's it's so smart because I would have never thought of a hand sanitizing brand until you. So now that you have gone past this craziness and that hopefully are feeling a little more steady with the pandemic and everything happening in the world, how do you find time as an entrepreneur to just kind of take care of yourself and relax and move slowly. I know you seem like you're very dedicated to your business. Yes. Entrepreneur. Is that hard for you? It's just like, uh, it's my, it's my adrenaline. I really, I really love working. I just feel like I've, it, this is like a baby. And I always said like, I want to leave a print in the world. I, I want to make something that makes people's life easier and better. And of course I, I like to take time for myself. I feel like I'm a very familiar person. So I'm like, I especially having families so far away in Barcelona that I go to see once a year. Like I normally went every three months and with COVID, I went after a year and a half almost. I like the typical daughter that will call 20 times a day, <laughs> even in the craziness <laughs> of the world. Um, I feel like I'm saying when I'm at work, I'm not, there's people that need to disconnect. I don't have to disconnect because I really like it. I'm every time that I see an idea or something, I'm just like auto sending myself emails or something. I just, natural for me and I and my father has been always like that and I think one of the things that I really try to do and and it has helped me a lot is um my father also is like someone that loves business and all that but he cannot stop talking about business when he was in family and I think that's something that I as a kid I just wanted to talk about my school and it was all about business and I think when I'm with friends or when I'm with family very barely few times I talk about Touchman. I prefer to say, hey, how was your day? What did you do? What did you eat? Or rather than just explaining all the victories at Touchdown, I just feel like I... And a lot of people say like, you're like way too humble, but I just feel like I that's how I get to disconnect. Like not, I don't need to brag about with friends and family. I just don't like it. When I'm at work, I'm at work. And when I'm with family, work does not exist. Yeah, you can segment in those ways. I do think it's when you work, with your husband's works with you full time, right? Yes. So that probably, you guys probably talk about work all the time. <laughs> yes. But I think also at the same time, I don't think no one would be able to understand yeah. what we go through if they weren't on the day to day of this madness. Exactly. I think that's such a special thing that you can share together, especially if you love it. And it sounds like you love it so much. If this is like your meditation is building your business, I think that's the greatest gift like to actually love what you do. Exactly. Is. I really like it. I And I, I like all of it. I like when we hire people. I like pitching. I like selling. I like developing product. I it just... It's a constant progress and I love progress. And, and I feel like it's the best blessing because when I see people that they hate their job, I, I just feel it's very, it's very hard because you spent 
90% of your life working. And I'm so happy when I wake up, I'm like, okay, what's going to happen? And you see my agenda and you would not be happy. <laughs> You'd be like, whoa. <laughs> but I, and sometimes I would make less meetings for sure, because I think that's the only thing that we right now in the world that we're living in, we over set ourselves to make lots of meetings that maybe 40% are not necessary. So I'm just trying also to be more like cognition about that and try to reduce the amount of meetings and have more quality on those because I think like one of the biggest challenges that I have is that I need to know how to say no because I say yes to <laughs> everyone and I think that's a quality that I need to develop in myself like be able to just say no not this month not this quarter let's push it to I always say like no I can do this I can have this meeting too I and I think that's that's one of the things that really is a little bit draining because your brain just needs sometimes like you can work but I need three hours a day just to be alone in my computer and think yes and even just have that creative time exactly to be able to have that time with yourself to think what you want in the next five years exactly exactly like I always say the balcony time (laughs) Yes, I love that. That's big in Miami. Balconies are not something I ever had in New York, but I'm so happy (laughs) to have one. (laughs) Yeah. So I think it's something crazy. Maybe 98% of businesses fail within the first five years, which is really insane. If you think about it, no one goes into business thinking, oh, I can't wait to not exist in five years. (laughs) What do you think it is that sets you apart? that, That thing within you that doesn't let you fail that makes ensures that you are going to succeed and keep moving forward perseverance i think it's it's that word that everyone uses but that i feel like happens with the sports it happens with it i remember like um, michael jordan said like i did not make one good shot i i failed nine thousand times at that and that's how i got it right and it happens with business it happens with everything that you do like if you want to be the best you have to sacrifice everything. And hopefully you love what you're doing. I always say I went to a very tough business school, which is one of the best in the world. But one thing that I realized is like the first time that I went there, they said, look at the person next to you, the other side, most probably next year, none of them will be next to you. And what I realized is that there were few kids that went into that school because they wanted it so bad. And then there were a lot of kids, majority that they went there because their parents wanted them to be there. All the kids that were there because they wanted to be there, next year they were there. Majority of the kids that they were pushed because the parents wanted them to have like this title and all that, they just couldn't handle the pressure because they were not there because of their their fire inside. They were just like, and I think that's the same on business. Like when I hear entrepreneurs that they say, I want to be an entrepreneur. And it's like, okay, what do you want to do? What do you want to change in the world? And it's like, well, I, I still don't have the idea. I just say like, don't do it. Like if you, I feel like when you want to create even like, a restaurant, like every business, it's going to be hard. It's going to be like, you're going to go through hell. No matter if you think about people that had a restaurant during COVID, like I had a friend that just launched his own restaurant, the project of his life, and then COVID came in, but that's his passion. And no matter what, he's going to be creative and he's going to find a way to get out of here, to survive and, and be nimble. And then better times will come. And that's how I went through these 10 years. It was just like, it's going to be hard. There were times that we were trying to raise funds to move here and we were almost in red figures. And But I was just like, one more step, keep going, keep going. And that's how perseverance is what really sets you apart. I always feel like you have to be also very realistic. Um, there's, there's times that even if you persevere, what you're chasing is not going to happen. So at the same time, 
it's like me. I, I could not be perseverant in Europe because I would have failed most probably. Like I would have keep going until I failed. But then like you have to sometimes, if you have a goal, you may have to adjust the sales and just say, okay, I want to get there. But maybe I have just to stop being a bull and trying to bring this wall down. Maybe I have to find another door. And that's how, for example, it was for us. Let's just quit, leave everything in Europe and just go chase the American dream because we are not in the right place. Yeah. It's like, what is the thing you have to do? Like the thing that if you don't do it, it will just keep you up at night. And money is not enough. It's just not enough of a driver because if then you you don't make it right away or there's ups and there's downs and you start to lose it, you'll lose interest. Yeah. And I always tell people that when I'm working like with coaching, it's what's the thing that if if you didn't do it and you looked back at your life, you would be filled with so much regret. I knew that's what I was meant to do on this planet and I didn't do it which it sounds like you are doing your thing and that's so rare and amazing. It just makes me so happy. Thank you. Yeah, I think also (laughs) in this sense, I think I said a lot of times no to a lot of money, but I would just like, no, we cannot do this deal. Our size of the business is not right. We're going to set up ourselves for failure. And sometimes it's hard to say no to money and it's hard to say no to opportunities. But I always try to think, will I regret this three years from now? If I will, let's just not do it because it's going to be, in Spanish, we say pan para hoy, hambre para mañana, which means bread for today and hunger for tomorrow. And I think it's that's something that not a lot of people, like people, when you're in the business, you're like stressed with investors and growth and all that. You just take any opportunity. And I think that's where, unfortunately, that's when you start making mistakes. And and in my case, I've always tried to think like, will I regret bringing this partner? Will I regret and if there's any kind of my God is telling me, yes, you'll regret it. I rather not take it. And because every time that I don't listen to my God, then it ends up having the truth. No, oh, it's so true. People ask me how I monetize Woman Inc. And I'm always like, oh, yeah, I don't. Like I've never made money from it. They're like you spend so much time on it. I'm like, yeah, but I've, if it makes money, that's amazing. And like, hopefully that happens. That's even better. But this was just the thing I had to do because of passion. And I think this is a great platform because I think by sharing stories, you empower others to do their their like dream and to follow their dreams and everything. And I think that's why I always want to be part of podcasts and not to say like all of our victories, but all, always to share like, well, if you go through all of these obstacles, it's not the end of the world. That's the light at the yes. end of the tunnel. Exactly. It's so important. And you're not going to write about these in an article, most likely, or you're not going to feature them when you get interviewed for five minutes. You have to sit with someone and really hear their whole story, I think, yeah, to learn you know, from the ups and downs. So when you look at people who you look up to, I know you are really kind of alone in your industry in that way, but do you have entrepreneurs or women in your life who you look up to as far as just a woman or entrepreneur in general? Alive? Or <laughs> because obviously I have a, I, I admire a lot of, uh, a lot of women. I feel like I always was, since I was a little impressed by how Chanel was able like from like very humble beginnings, was able to create a fashion statement and, and kind of like also she had like a very clear vision and she never sold herself for success. And that over time ended up creating like a whole powerhouse. I love the story of Joy Mangana, which they make the movie Joy, which is amazing. I, I always, there's a lot of people that always say, Andrea, I saw a movie that reminded me of your story. I'm like, I know which movie, <laughs> because it is such a hard movie. It's just like this woman was 
incredible. And she was able to create an empire, but she was a mom. She was getting divorced. She went on QVC. It was a failure the first time. She didn't quit. And I think like there are so many, so, so many stories that, that are there of women that are just fire and passion and that they are willing to do everything, like have kids and at the same time have a business. And it's just all this, this strength that we carry in ourselves. It just, it should be admired and it should be shared. Yes, it should. I love both of those people. I know one of them was a movie, but both of those those people. Thank you so much for coming on. I feel like this will be so inspiring to so many people. I feel so inspired and I want to meet up thank with you. you for my- yeah, when you're here, let's go for a coffee for sure. Yes. Well, thank you for having me. Of course. Last question. Where can everyone find you just to follow along on your journey? So I am a very social media person. So I have my Instagram, which is Andrea Lisbona, and Instagram of Touchland, which is at Touchland. We have TikTok. I shut down my TikTok because I, it's all about dancing and I'm terrible at it. So I don't use it anymore. We have the Touchland TikTok, which is a very successful platform. LinkedIn, I use it a lot of times and I, I always share all of our progress and everything there. And I feel like I always say one day, like we get to take Touchland to the top. My dream is just to teach or like to be able to help because even even right now, like my husband said, like you don't even have time for yourself. Like, why do you set up meetings with other entrepreneurs to help them? It's like because I wish someone would have done it for me. Because every time when I when I was studying, everyone was just like asking before helping and then would provide advisory shares or something and then they would not do anything. And I feel like it's just very unfortunate that people just is looking for like a compensation before even helping out. And I in my case, I'm like my husband says always, you're like, you're Santa Teresa de Calcutta, meaning you want to help everyone. <laughs> but I just really like it. And I, and I always believe in karma. And I always believe that, uh, that if you're good with people and you help out, it's your, your good karma always is there. And so far it's been there. So I'll keep being how I am and, and obviously helping any, any people that I can through my experience and through my failures, which I think are the most, are the most helpful ones to learn. I love that. And I know for a fact, this will help so many people. I wish I would have heard everything you just said six years ago when I started my first business. So yes, (laughs) doing exactly what, what you're setting out to do with this time. So thank you so much. I know you're very busy. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been a great Sunday morning to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. I hope you enjoyed this episode and are feeling so fired up to go out there and create that business or side hustle that's been on your to-do list, you know, a little bit longer than you care to admit. It is never too late to make the first step towards the life you want more than anything else. If you haven't already, make sure you are subscribed to the show so that you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, keep becoming the woman of your wildest dreams.